There we go. All right, today is Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. Torah portion this week is Pinchas. Action-packed start. Oh my gosh, did we get off to an action-packed start yesterday? So the Torah portion begins in the aftermath of Pinchas's decisive action to stop the plague by spearing, um, not sparing, that's the opposite of what he did, by spearing <laughs> um, uh, Zimri and Cosby and putting an end to the plague that broke out because of the immorality and idolatry that was going on. We spoke about the notion of love, how love is typically associated with loving and kind actions, but love can also dictate that we take decisive actions. We spoke about that yesterday. We also spoke about the worship of the Balpar, which I'm not going to get into the details of, but the idea that the next, that the original generations served, the original generation served it one way, and then the subsequent generations served it another way, only focus on the externalities as opposed to the core of it, although we're not promoting idolatry at all. Please don't get, uh, please don't misconstrue this, but the point is that on a positive note, it also means for our own service to always focus on the core, and then we spoke about the children of Korach, the sons of Korach, who did not die, although they were part of the plot. They did not die because they had thoughts of tshuva. And the idea here is that our thoughts of repentance can go a long way. What, where our head is and where our heart is can go a long way, even if our actions are not yet there. There's always hope. As we say in Hebrew, yesh tikva. There's always hope. All right, so this takes us to our third. Oh, and then we did a census. Remember that? A lot of counting. We counted of the Jewish people. And the final tally was, I'm going to share this now, the final tally of yesterday's census was, hold on, give me a moment. I need a moment. Here we go. 601,730. That was the count. All right, here we go. Reading number three for Tuesday, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, third day of the week, third reading. Here we have it. Now we talk about the tribal, um, sorry, the division of the land of Israel and the tribal inheritances. So just a quick intro on this. The Jews were set at this moment in the narrative, set to enter the land of Israel. And they would go within a few weeks, a few months, they would be entering the land of Israel under Joshua because Moses was not destined to lead them. But to Moses, God instructs how to divide the land, even though he won't be dividing it. But how do you divide a land amongst 12 tribes? How do you do it? You do it carefully and you do it per divine command. So here we go. The Lord spoke to, of course, the risk is whenever you're dividing something, people complain like, oh, you know, like when you're cutting cake, for kids, right? You know about this, right? You cut birthday cake for kids. What happens, right? Oh no! Um, I didn't get the frosting. Yeah, well, no, or I didn't get the flower piece or the corner piece, or you know, Johnny got a bigger piece of cake than me, and you know, why do they always get that whole thing? And we think that as we get older, we become more mature. But I don't know. Maybe we're just better at masking it because I feel like we're still looking and looking at other people to see to measure ourselves against others and measure others against ourselves. And so the idea of dividing a land amongst 12 tribes 
you know, it's, it's, it could be challenging. I mean, even think of, of another example of dividing an estate of a loved one amongst, um, amongst children, amongst siblings, whatever. It becomes, it could become contentious. So therefore, it's helpful that it's done by God's command that kind of alleviates perhaps some of the controversy. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall apportion the land among these, who are these? The ones that we just counted, right? The ones that we just counted, the 601, 730 uh, Jewish, I mean, they were the men, 20 to 60 heads of household. So all of those should inherit the land and the land should be apportioned amongst these as an inheritance in accordance with the number of names. You just took a census and you know exactly how much members, how many members are in each tribe. Now you know how big of a piece of land that tribe needs to hold its number of people. To the large tribe, you shall give a larger inheritance, right? Larger in number. If the tribe has more people, more members of the tribe, they should get a larger in space plot of land. And to a smaller tribe, you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each person shall be given an inheritance according to his number. Okay? So that implies that the tribe that has 40,000 people should get this big. And if it has 70,000, it should get a bigger piece of land. Perfect. Then the Torah pivots slightly. 55. This is actually still God's words. Only through the lot shall the, shall the land be apportioned. They shall inherit it according to the names of their father's tribes. And here the Torah introduces, God introduces another method, the lot. In Hebrew, it's the goro. The goro means lot, like a lottery, you know, where you cast lots to determine something kind of randomly or by chance. This is what God is suggesting to Moses, how the land should be divided, which sets up an inherent uh, contradiction. In one verse, verse 54, it speaks about a logical division of the land. It's very simple. You know, calculate the square footage, square acreage of the land, calculate the number of members of each tribe, and divide it accordingly. Right? It's a simple mathematical formula. You and I could do this also. Right? If we were being very simplistic, right? If we were going to be super simplistic, let's say there are a thousand square, it's not obviously, but let's say a thousand square acres of land to be divided up into 10 portions. So you would say a thousand into 10 means that everyone gets a hundred. Aha! Not so simple because there's some of these 10, I know there's 12, I'm just using simple math, math, math here. There are some that are bigger, some that are smaller. So I would say, okay, so take the thousand square acres and you take the number of people and then you just divide it. And, and you know, you, you figure out a number for each person and then you multiply it by the number of people in the tribe and that's how you have it. Simple. I'm trying to capture attention. What's going? What? what? Sandrine, what happened? Okay, so basically, it's you're giving, there's a logical way in which you're dividing the land based on the numbers. But in verse 55, it pivots, and it says that it's done through the goro, through the lot, through a lottery, which makes it sound completely random. When you cast lots, it could very well be that by chance, 
the larger tribe gets a smaller piece and the smaller tribe gets a larger piece. If you're just leaving it up to chance, anything goes. So which one is it? Is it done by logic or is it done by lot? Logic or chance? So let's continue. 56. The inheritance shall be a portion between the numerous and the few according to the lot. So the division between the numerous tribe, the tribe that has a lot and the tribe that has a little, should be based on the lottery. And this answers our question. So we have a contradiction. 54 says logical division. 55 says, you know, random division. 56 gives the answer that it is divided between many and few according to the lot, which means that it was a logical division and the lottery also confirmed it. What does that mean? I'm going to share it with you a Rashi that should clarify. Take a look. According to the lot, Rashi says in Hebrew, it's Alpi Hagoro, which means by the mouth, literally by the mouth of the lot. Take a look at Rashi based on, based on this, uh, the sages. The lot spoke out as I explained above verse 54. This tells us that it was divided by the divine spirit. This was a talking lottery. Yes, you heard it correctly. This is not a narrator doing the talking. The lottery itself spoke and announced and said, the portion at the Northwest should go to the tribe of such and such. The poor, I don't know exactly how it spoke, you know, how it was named, the, the pieces of the land. It doesn't make a difference just because I don't know. It doesn't mean that it, it wasn't known or somebody knows it, I'm sure. The point is the, the Goro, the lot, spoke and announced and it was clearly supernatural it was a clear miracle it was coming from god a talking lottery is definitely coming from god and what was the message the message is that the division of the land the inheritance that you get the portion of the earth that you are ending up acquiring is meant to be yours it's not only logically yours it's not just randomly yours. It's by divine decree. It's by divine spoken word. It's by divine declaration that this is where you're supposed to live. This is where your mission, your primary mission on this earth is going to take place. The Kabbalists tell us that even our lives today, when you and I don't typically have talking lotteries and you and I typically don't have, you know, this type of intentionality, you know, higher intentionality in, in where we are, where we live, what we do, etc. It's still the same concept that it's guided. We, our lives are guided by Hashem. Our lives are guided by God. Where we are, where we live, right? The context of our lives that's all been guided from on high um, and, 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 and given to us by divine decree for us to do our mission on earth. To explain, to throw a little Kabbalah into this. The Arizal, the great Kabbalist, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, explains that every single person has a mission to collect sparks of godliness, sparks of holiness, sparks of light that have been scattered and buried throughout the, throughout the world. This is obviously not a physical thing. I mean, it is done through physical actions, but it's not, we're not talking about something physically that's, that's buried, but a spiritual energy that is, buried, that is hidden inside physical items. And every person 
their soul, every, every person's soul has certain sparks of godliness that they are meant to uncover, release, and reconnect with its source. So you can affect certain ones, I can affect certain ones, and they're not the same. The example that I always give is the example of the key fob, right? So this works to my family's minivan. We have a minivan, right? So this works to that. So if you hit the unlock button or the lock button or the trunk, it's gonna work to my vehicle. It's not gonna work, even if you have the same car, it's not gonna work for your vehicle. I mean, hopefully that would be awkward if it worked for all vehicles, right? That wouldn't work, that wouldn't be a good idea. So it works, I, my fob, my key fob unlocks what's, what's mine. Spiritually, my soul can unlock the sparks that are mine. So if I'm chasing your sparks, number one, stop coveting. Number two, it's a waste of time because those are not my sparks. So I'm, I'm, I'm spending my time, my energy, my mental and emotional energy running after your avoda, your mission in life. So again, number one, it's coveting. Number two, it's a waste of time. Number three, so then if I'm trying to do your work, Who's doing my work? I, I have so many sparks to unlock. If I'm busy, if my head and heart are busy chasing yours, what about all the stuff that I need to do? All of this is captured and hinted and alluded to in the division of the land that we're reading about here. Every tribe was given its portion and the message is, this is where you're meant to be. This is what you're meant to be doing. They, these are the sparks that you're meant to uplift and reconnect. Don't run after someone else's. And if you think that somebody made a mistake, God says, I'm going to send a talking lottery so that there should be no doubt. If that lottery talks, then I'll believe it. Done. Talking lottery. Today we don't have talking lotteries, but we have the belief and the faith that God guides us where we need to be. And so we need to internalize it. Back in the day, they had um, flashy reminders. Today, no flashy reminders, but the same truth is to be found. All right, questions so far on what we just talked about. Donna. particular uh, commentator in the Kabbalah that I think you mentioned one? Yeah, 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 for sure. So a few, let me give you a few names. Ouch. Number one. Name number one is Ramban, Nachmanides. Not Maimonides, Nachmanides, Ramban. He does a lot of mystical stuff in his commentary. Classic commentary, but he throws some mystical stuff in there. The next one. It's not R-A-M-B-A-N. No, 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 no. It's, oh, it's R-A-M-B-A-N as in Nancy. Let me write in the chat. So we have Ramban. Okay. Or a.k.a. Nachmanides. Nachmanides. I think that's how you spell it. Yeah. Nachmanides, by the way, the, the Maimonides and Nachmanides, the, the D's at the end, right, means the son of. So he was the son of Nachman. So he's called Nachmanides. He's the son of Nachman. He was Reb Moshe ben Nachman. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman Ramban. Ramban. Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, the Ram, Rambam, Rambam with an M at the end is Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon. So he's called Maimonides, the son of Maimon. Anyway, either way, I'm giving you too much information. Then we have the Ar Hachaim. I'm just typing it. Ar Hachaim. He's another mystical commentary. Um, and then you have, I mentioned the Arizal slash Rabbi Isaac Luria, who also has some mystical teachings on the Torah. So, and he is the author of 
sorry, the founder of what we call Lurianic Kabbalah, named after his last name, which makes sense. Okay, so, and he talks about the sparks. He talks about symptom and sparks and the shattering of the vessels. If you're familiar with these Kabbalistic terms, they're all developed in the Arizal's teachings. So back inside, let's jump in to our text. All right, so we had talking lotteries. Um, last week we had talking donkeys. This week we have a talking donkey. Okay, let's continue. Verse 57. Now we switch, now we pivot and talk about the Levites. All right, the Levites, they also need to be counted. Because so far we just counted, I mean, so far. Right now in the census we counted the Israelites, the non-Levites, the 12 non-Levite tribes, um, between 20 and 60, etc. Now we're going to count the Levites. These were the numbers of the Levites according to their families. The family of the Gershonites from Gershon, the family of the Kahotites from Kahat, the family of the Mirarites from Mirari. So these were the families of Levi, the families, uh, family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Machlites, the family of the Mushites, the family of the Korachites. Aha! Korachites. Korach. And Kahat begot Amram. The name of Amram is a key character. You know why? Because Amram was the father of Moses. Yes, Amram was the father of Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. The name of Amram's wife was Yocheved. I'm not going to go Jocheved, even though that's what it says. I'm going to go Hebrew. Yocheved was her name. Amram and Yocheved, they were the parents of, of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. So the name of Amram was Yocheved. She was the daughter of Levi, whom her mother had born to Levi in Egypt. This is important. Yocheved was born to Levi in Egypt. But as the commentaries tell us, she was born at the border. Remember this? She was number 70. You guys remember this. Remember, there was a, the, the family of Yaakov that came down to Egypt was 70, but when you count them, they're only 69. And the question is, well, what's going on? The answer is Yocheved. She was number 70, born at the border between the walls of Egypt. And who were her children? She bore to Amram three kids, Aaron, Moses, and their sister, Miriam. Let's continue with the family tree. Born to Aaron were Nadab and Abihu. Elazar, Nadab, and Abihu, Elazar, and Itamar. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered up an unauthorized fire before the Lord. Right? Check that out. Nadab and Abihu died when they offered up an unauthorized fire before the Lord. We remember that from the beginning of the book of Leviticus. On the day that the Mishkan was inaugurated, this is now 39 years later, but 39 years prior, these two oldest sons of Aaron passed away. Let's continue. Those counted, and those counted of them, of the Levites, were 23,000. 23,000. Every male aged one month and upward, for they were not counted among the children of Israel, since no inheritance was given them among the children of Israel. This is important. They were not going to inherit a piece of land in Israel, so they were not counted amongst the children of Israel. Only the heads of household, the military age heads of household of the Israelites who would inherit the land were counted in the previous census, not the Levites. The Levites were counted separately and they were 23,000 strong. Much smaller, of course, than the 601,730 Israelites, but nonetheless. This was the census of Moses and Elazar the Kohen who counted the children of Israel where? In the plains of Moab, by the Jordan at Jericho, Basically, really close to the land of Israel. Where's my Chumash? I always love showing you this map. This is honestly, I'm going to be honest here. 
I'm not a real map guy just because, I don't know, ways? Who uses maps anymore, right? Um, but like, I appreciate this map. This is some good mappage, especially of like ancient desert travels of the Jewish people. I'm going to show you. I have the physical chumash here. I don't, you know, maybe one day I'll uh, make up, you know, try to get a, um, a, a digital copy of this. But for right now, I'm going to do the old school, lift up my chumash and show you at the screen. I showed, I've shown this to you before, but I just want you to get your bearings about what we're talking about here. So the Jews right now, always a little hard to hold this like this. The Jews right now are right there. Can you see that? Womp, right there. Yeah, it even says it, Plains of Moab. You guys see that? Yeah. Right under my finger, Plains of Moab? Yes. Right there? That's where they are. That's where they are. That, that after the battles that they had and the journeys around the nations that wouldn't let them through, blah, 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 all that stuff, they find themselves now right outside of Israel, right on the other side of the Jordan River in the plains. It's one of the most momentous times. It's huge. It's, 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 it's like the last, this is the last hurrah for Moses, the last time that the Jews would be a, well, not really, but at, they would no longer wander on the way to Israel. They would then be in Israel. Now, we've been wandering for the last 2,000 years, having been sent out of Israel in the exile. But for that, for that time, that was, this would be the last few moments before entering the land of Israel. Just to give you a sense, and I've mentioned this before many times, the book of Deuteronomy, the entire book of Deuteronomy, which is the next book coming up soon, um, spans a total of 37 days, the last 37 days of the life of Moses. So this is probably right around then, maybe a week or two or three before that. So we're talking 37 days plus a week or two, a month and a half, probably under two months before they would they would finally enter the land of uh, the know, land if, of Israel. If you didn't have your guidance, I mean, every reading is just all monotone. You know, there's no signaling that this is momentous. You know, like it was a movie, we hear the music. That's why. That's why I'm here. Right. I mean, uh, that's why I got paid the big bucks. I'm kidding, right. right? But no. But seriously, that's why. That's that's exactly why we do this, so that I can say, hey, take a look, pay attention. This is this is huge, right? So that verse. This is going to be the final census of Moses before he passes away. I mean, this is, this is it. And he does it with his nephew, Elazar, who took over from his brother Aaron, right? Uh, from Moses' brother Aaron. And they counted the children of Israel on the plains of Moab by the Jordan and Jericho. Um, among these, 64, among these, there was no man who had been included in the census of Moses and Aaron. Oh, look at this. Powerful, powerful verse right here. Among these that we just counted of the Israelites, the 601, 730, there was no man who had been included in the original census of Moses and Aaron, who had long gone by now, when they counted the children of Israel in the Sinai Desert. You understand what's going on? Forty years prior, they had done others, another count. And what the Torah is saying now at the end of the 40 years, no one from that original count is alive. Does that make sense? That's exactly what verse 64 is saying. Among these currently counted right now, there was no man who had been included in the original census of Moses and Aaron 40 years prior when they counted the children of Israel in the Sinai desert 
shortly after the giving of the Torah. That was 39 years prior. I'm saying 40, but it's really 39 years prior. So shortly after the Torah was given was the sin of the golden calf. And after the sin of the golden calf, there was a plague and people died. And God tells Moses, count the Jewish people. And they're counted. And now, 39 years later, at the end of all the journeys, God says, count them again. And roughly, it's the same number of people. It's around 600,000, give or take, you know? 601730, back then it was like 601, I want to say 550 or 350, whatever. It's like, give or take. It's pretty much roughly the same number. But all new people, all new people. Why? Why new people? 65. As a re- we, you and I know this, but here's a reminder. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the desert after the sin of the spies. And no one was left of them except, but Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, those were the two, well, and Moses, but he was going to pass away soon. So those were the only two people from that prior generation who were going to enter the land of Israel. Otherwise, everyone standing right now in the plains of Moab, at the Jordan, at Jericho, right? All of those people were the next generation, exactly what God said 39 years prior, that this generation will not go in, but the next generation will. This is next gen. This is the next generation, with the exception of three people, Moses, who's not going to go in, and Caleb and Joshua, those were the two spies who brought back a good report, and God said, all right, you guys have the exception. Yeah. Donna's pointing out, there were 600,000 Jews set to enter Israel. Today we have about 15 million. I will say, let me adjust that. Let me adjust that. There were 600,000 Jewish males between 20 and 60. Probably another 600,000 Jewish women between 20 and 60. That makes 1.2 million. Plus everybody over 60 and all the boys and girls under 20, young men and women under 20. So we're talking about, I would say, between 2 and 3 million people. So we had about 2 or 3 million people entering then, entering Israel then, and now 15 million, 3,300 years later, 3,300 years later. That is a very flat um, uh, growth. I mean, over 3,000 years that the population should only, you know, go, you know, times 5 from, let's say, 3 to 15 million. That's like super slow growth. What's, what's the reason? How come Jews, how come... How do we start off with 3 million, right? 2, 3 million. We should be in the billions by now. Like literally billions. Like Christianity, like Islam. Like Christians and, 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 and Muslims. Like what's going on? Well, the Torah says you will be the, sm- the fewest of the nation. So it's, it's been foretold. What's the reason on the ground? Well, you have persecution. It's not easy. So people are forced out sometimes literally forced out of life. Historically, right, we lost 6 million in, uh, not 75 years ago. We lost 6 million. Right? That's a huge number. 6 million times all of these generations, the number would have been way more than 50 million now. I mean, it would be a huge number. But as we experienced recently with the Holocaust, the tragedy of the Holocaust, we've had other tragedies, maybe not on, on the same scale, maybe not on the same you know, number, but in a similar scale relative to where we were holding as a people, just devastating loss, physical loss and persecution. And the reality is that, that through it, throughout it all, there's been the challenge of assimilation, where Jews have said either, you know, 
it's too difficult or I don't get it or whatever. It's easier not to, not to you know, opt in. So that's it. I'm not excusing or, or just, I'm just saying that this is what's been going on. So you have that kind of, you know, very flat um, growth, relatively flat growth over the last 3,300 years. Um, okay. So, Rabbi, so, yeah. I mean, it comes a point, right, so then certain lines don't continue. I mean, because after one or two generations, if, if the individuals are not practicing, then Correct. You know, those are, yeah. And that's happened. That's happened how many times? It, it's, it's happened throughout... Certainly throughout exile, the last 2,000 years when things have been very difficult. I would say before that, when there was a temple and, you know, Mishkan and, you know, prophecy and everything, it was probably easier to stay plugged in. It's difficult. It's challenging. But that's what we've said in the last course, the last Shailat course that we did. This can happen. That's the whole, that's the highest level. The highest level is when there's everything working against you and you still fight for it. And even higher than that is when... No one's for or against, and now it's up to you. What do you choose? Right? That's, they've called, I've heard this word applied to America. It's called the Velvet Holocaust. Right? It's like losing the same numbers, but in a, in, in a, in a, in a kind and gentle way. Without, you know, killing the Jew, but it's killing with love and acceptance and no problem. You know, we love you. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to practice Judaism. But you're right. After a few generations of that, you know, but the good news is, good news is that Torah is strong, Judaism is strong, Am Yisrael Chai, and uh, there's plenty of opportunities. And how many stories do we know of people that for a generation or two, you know, it was more assimilated and then, you know, it, it, it comes back. It, there's a rejuvenation, all puns intended, rejuvenation, kind of of, uh, of, of of getting back into the spirit. Okay, let's continue. With Numbers chapter 27, oh, look at this. Look at this narrative. This is fantastic. The daughters of Tzalavchad. I'm going to go with the Hebrew. The daughters of Tzalavchad. We mentioned them before. The son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Macha, the son of Manasseh. So they were from the tribe of Manasseh. That's what you need to know. Manasseh was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. So that was one of the tribes. So Manasseh had a son, Machir, who had a son, Gilead, who had a son, Hefer, who had a son, Salavchad, and Salavchad had no sons, only daughters. So the daughters of Salavchad, of, um, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came forward, and his daughters' names were Machla, so Salavchad's daughters were Machla, Noah, Chagla, Milka, and Tirza. Those are the five daughters of Salavchad. They stood before Moses. Remember, they're in the plains of Moab, right at the border or you know, right before the border to the land of Israel. And they're getting ready to divide the land or there was a, um, the lottery division, whatever. They're actively working on divvying up the land of Israel amongst the tribes and the tribal families. So these five daughters stood before Moses and before Elijah the Kohen. And before the chieftains and the entire congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting saying, so there was like a, a press conference, sort of. And what was their speech? They said, our father died in the desert. Our father died in the desert. He was one of those that, that are not around today. But he was not in the assembly that banded together against the Lord in Korach's assembly. He wasn't one of the dissidents or whatever you call it, one of the um, rabble rousers or... Um, you know, coup conspirers. Coup conspirers? 
Yeah, anyway, he wasn't one of those rebellious ones, but he died for his own sin. Yeah, he just, he died. He had his own, re- you know, his, his life was taken, whatever. It wasn't against God. It wasn't against Moses. He died of his own sin. And he had no sons. So it's just us, just the daughters. Five daughters, and their father's no longer around, and they're going to go into Israel. And so here is their claim. Why should our father's name be eliminated from his family? Because he had no son. Give us a portion along with our father's brothers. This is a powerful plea. What they're saying is, up until now it was understood implicitly that the inheritance, because everything, because the, the land of Israel is divided by tribes, right? Let, let, let me stop sharing so I can see you all. Because the land of Israel was divided by tribes and tribal affiliation, as we said yesterday, or the day yesterday, is by the father. Remember, like Jewish identity is mother, but tribal affiliation is father. So it always goes by the male. The male is the one who carries the tribal affiliation. And the land of Israel, the inheritance is divided by tribes. So it's a male-centric division. So these daughters say, so what does that mean? We're cut out? Our father is no longer alive. Right? So he's no life. He's not alive to take his stake, his portion in Israel. If he had sons, it would go to the sons. But there's five daughters. So does that mean, they say to Moses, does that mean that our father's name is erased? Does that mean that, poof, there's nothing that's, that we get? There's nothing that our father's children get? That's it? It just goes to his brothers and the, the rest of the family? But his, his line, us, his descendants, his line ends? Is that it? Is that fair? Doesn't seem right, they said. Does not seem right. They said, why should our... I'm going to read this again. Verse, powerful verse. Why should our father's name be eliminated from his family because he had no son? Give us a portion along with our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. It was a good case. It was a good claim. And we'll see tomorrow that God says, you're right. You're absolutely right. New law or clarification of the law. If there are no sons, give it to the daughters. I have to explain something. The understand the, the you might be thinking, well, obviously, why is it even a question? It's not so simple. It's not so simple. The reason why it's not a why why it's a question is because when these five daughters will get married, please God, well, then they're going to inherit their husband's portion of the land, right? So they will have a place in the land. And I know they're not married yet, but the implication is, I'm sure they had a place to live, right? I'm sure that. The question is, do you own a, 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 a section of land in the land of Israel? What's the big loss? I mean, theoretically, they, when they get married, they'll have, that's, that will be their new thing. I mean, that's always what happens with the daughters that, I mean, in, in the tribal inheritance, when, it's, when it goes by the, the male, you know, with, with the tribes, that the woman would be aligned with her husband's tribal area. So then what's the, what's the problem? But that's, that's not their question. Their question is, why should our father's name be eliminated? Right? Forget about us. We'll be fine one day. We'll get married, whatever. But why should our father... But, but if we don't get our father's portion, that means it's, it's been revoked. It's like he never existed. 
His brothers will get, because, you know, but, but he's not going to get. If we don't get, that means, if when we go into the land of Israel, we don't get a piece, that means our father's legacy is, is, is erased from the land of Israel. And that doesn't feel right. Give us a portion, even though we'll, when we marry, we'll get another portion, but give us a portion, that was your claim. Um, okay, Joy's asking, if she has sons, won her husband's land, Go to them. Yes. Yes. So if let, let's just pick one of the names of the daughters. Okay. So there were five daughters. Machla, Noah, Chagla, Milka, and Tirza. Let's say Machla. Let's go with number one. Right. Machla. So Machla is one of the five daughters petitioning for land. Not necessarily for themselves, but for, I mean, yeah, also for themselves, but for their father. And let's say we say no. Right. Let's say it, it says as, 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 as was implied which is that it only goes to the, the, the tribal side, which is the male side. So then they wouldn't inherit. I mean, they would have a place to live, obviously, you know, and the, the family would, their, the relatives obviously would give them a house to live, but, or a place to have a house, but they wouldn't officially own a section of the land of Israel. And then what's the problem with that? No problem, theoretically, because let's say Machla gets married, so then she'll live on her husband's portion of the land. No harm, no foul, no big deal. And then her children, as Joy's asking, her sons will inherit that land. Exactly. So what's the harm if we just leave it as it is? They have a place to live until they get married and then they're going to inherit the land of their husband and that will be their children's inheritance and their daughters will marry other men who will have other land and the story goes on. So the men are the ones that have the tribal inheritance and the women, when they get married, it goes kind of like traditionally last names go by the husband's last. I know it's different today, but like traditionally, so traditionally this was the way it was, that the, the males would be the ones that had the portion of the land officially and the, the wives would inherit or, or would join the husband in that land. So sounds like it could work. The problem is, is that that means that their father would be left out. And that they wouldn't have an official piece of land. And so that's their claim. They, they want a piece. They, wanna, they, they, they don't want that line to be just deleted from, from, from Israel, from, from history. Rabbi? Yeah. I mean, you know, talking about lineage from the male, lineage yeah. from the female. But at the end of the day, we all share equal lineage from Adam. Correct. So these are kind of like sub? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. These were 12 tribes, even though everyone, forget Adam. I mean, you can go even sooner. Everyone comes from Jacob. B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. So everyone comes from Jacob slash Israel. Yeah, true. 100%. Nonetheless, there are 12 tribes. And every tribe has its own individual flavor. Its own individual, its own place, its own sparks. And so they're saying... We want a place in the land. Yes, ultimately we're all one, we're all connected, 100%. But there's value in differentiation also. It's kind of like, you know, when we talk about equality or equity, right? So should we try to, should we just ignore difference? So there's, 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 diff, there's an evolution when we think about difference. One way is we, we, we pr we're prejudiced against difference. Oh, you're different. Well, then you're not as good. And then we, 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 um, we become polarized and there's prejudice and discrimination because of difference. Well, that's not good. So then we would say, let's go the other way. So instead of 
um, discriminating about difference, let's, uh, um, let's eliminate difference. Let's just say there's no difference. Everyone's the same. We're all, you know, we're all in this together. We're all children of Adam. We're all children of Israel, whatever it is. It's all the same. There's no difference. The problem with that approach is, that's what we would call equality. The problem with that is, is that it's not necessarily true because we're not all the same. And you tell, you, you tell somebody that we're all the same, it might be offensive. We're all the same. I'm not like you. I don't come from the same place as you. I don't have the same culture, the same tradition, the same dress, the same language as you. Don't tell me I'm like you. I'm proud of who I am distinctly. So the idea of, 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 of discrimination, horrible. But the idea of kind of losing all distinction is also not ideal. So what's the ideal? A third path, which is distinction, but recognizing the value in distinction, in distinctiveness. So yes, there is this, we're not pretending, we're not like covering our eyes and saying, nope, everyone's the same, right? Everyone's the same, can't see any difference. No, there's difference. But just because there's difference doesn't mean there's better or worse. This is the Jewish perspective. By the way, this is the Jewish perspective on religion. On, if we were to talk about race, although Judaism doesn't get into race, but if we apply the principles, it would apply to race. It would apply to gender. It would apply across the board, right? That there are distinctions, but the distinctions don't make one better or worse. It's just distinctive. You tell someone who immigrates to the United States, right? Now you're in the United States. Now you're part of us. Lose your individuality. It's offensive. It's all, right? I'm just trying to take you on the journey here. Actually, I think we read, let me stop sharing. I think we read this. Okay, I think we're good. Let me stop sharing so we can have a schmooze here for a second. Somebody emigrates, let's say a Jew, comes to the United States of America in the early 1900s. Approach number one. You're in the United States of America and you're Jewish, we're going to persecute you. We're going to discriminate against you. No Jews allowed. Jews, you're different. You're foreign. You belong somewhere else. You can't come to the country clubs. You can't live in the neighborhoods. You can't live in Decatur or Avondale like they did locally here in Atlanta. You can't do this. You can't do that. Right? That's horrible. Okay, so option one is terrible. Option two, welcome. You're embraced. You're what? You're, you can join us all, but you're no longer Jewish. You're now American. So discard your distinctions, work on Shabbos, don't eat kosher, no traditions, no special holidays, no unique, unique language. You're, all, you're now part of us in the melting pot. It's also offensive. I'm Jewish. I, I like to be in, in, the, in America, but I also want to ma- maintain my distinctiveness. That's also offensive. Honestly, it sounds so simple when I say this, but we're still trying to wrap our heads around the third, the third model. Literally, human beings are still trying to wrap their heads and hearts around this model. The third model is, you're different, and I'm different. And that's okay. And I love you, and you love me, and we value each other, and we value the distinctiveness that we have, the distinction. We, indiv- we value the individuality that we each have. So we're not discriminating against difference. 
individuality. We're not trying to erase individuality. We're embracing individuality. And so I don't even know why I'm, I'm talking about all this stuff, but I think it's in response to the tribes and the different pieces of land. So yes, everyone comes from Adam and all Jews come from Jacob slash Israel, B'nai Israel. Yes, but there were 12 tribes and every tribe had its own unique flavor, which is why when the sea split on the way out of Egypt, it split into 12 different pathways because every tribe has its own path. Even if it's headed to a similar destination, it's going to a separate... Today we don't know. Today we don't know. Correct. Right. I mean, we know that it's probably not from the 10 tribes because they were lost. Anyway, the point is that there's value in distinction, which is why they got 12 different pieces of land and why the daughters of Tzalavchad had a claim. They had a, they had a good problem. I mean, they said, look, I mean, yes, when we get married, whatever, we'll have land, but, you know, and our children will be taken care of, please God. But right now, what about our father's name? What about us? We love the land of Israel. They, they were lovers of the land of Israel. They, they wanted a piece. They wanted a piece of land. They weren't content to just say, all right, listen, I'll, I'll get it one day, you know, when I get married with my new family, whatever. They wanted, they wanted it for the father. They wanted it for themselves. So um, I want to just quickly mention, there's one other piece of information I wanted to share, and then we're going to sign off. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, Mm, okay, yeah. So there's a in the, the Talmud um, has a bit of a discussion about who this guy Hutzalafchad was, and, and how did he die? Because what the daughters say is he wasn't part of the Korach rebellion. It also doesn't seem like he. Um, it also doesn't seem like he died as just like the generation that died out in the desert because it says that he died, but not because of the sin of Korach. He died for his own sins. So it seems like there was something that he did. What did he do? Some say he was the Mekoshesh. He was the wood gatherer. Remember we spoke about there was a guy who gathered wood shortly after the sin of the spies? Whatever. Anyway, there was a guy who gathered wood and, um, and, that is, uh, and then he was killed because he violated Shabbat. So some say he was that guy. Some say he was part of the group of Jews that defiantly tried to ascend and uh, to Israel after they were told 40 years of wandering. Remember that? They were told that they're going to wander, and a group of Jews said, no, we're going to go in, and they went without Moses, and then they got cut down by the, by the nations there. Anyway, some say he was part of that group. Either way, um, he died, and they wanted a piece of the land. And tomorrow, we're going to read about the answer to the question and also some powerful verses about Moses. So just a quick announcement. Um, before we wrap up, a quick announcement. Number one is tomorrow there is an in-person option. If you'd like to join in person, we're doing it here at Chabad at 12 o'clock. Lunch from Spicy Peach. If you want lunch, if you want to show up, we're going to be doing it inside in Jeff's place. So don't worry about the heat and humidity or the rain or whatever it is. We'll be inside, air-conditioned, ventilated. Um, we'll have lunch option from Spicy. Put in the order and we'll pick it up. Uh, please God for tomorrow, 12. And if you want to join online, we'll have that option as well. We'll have whatever option you want. You can participate, Zoom or in person. And tonight we have a class, Curious Tales of the Talmud. Thursday night, the launch of our new resurrection course. It's going to be amazing. 
So join us for all of the above and stay tuned for exciting announcements for more stuff coming up, including some surprises that you didn't see coming. All right, that's it for today. I know we have to get that back on. Yeah, I'm looking at dates now to get that back on. Yeah. Maybe the fall. I mean, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I like the name Summer Cinema, so I'll see if we can still get that going. But yeah, it's on my radar. I'm actually working on calendar right now, right when we get off. So, so stay tuned for that. All right, we'll see you guys. Sarah, it's great to have you. Olia, Ray, Donna, pleasure, pleasure, joy. We'll see you guys soon. Have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody. Bye.